15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, going through Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Verse 1, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received in which, and in which you stand by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preach to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again in the third day, on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas, then by the Twelve. And after that, He was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, He was seen by James, then by all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your Son. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are alive. You are a living God. And we thank you, Lord, for our relationship, the relationship that we have because you died for our sins, because you were buried, because you uh, raised again, Lord, and poured out your Spirit among us. Uh, we pray this morning, Lord, uh, all of us, Lord, Lord, for all those distractions which become so much, uh, very much a part of our lives, would, uh, Lord God, that by your grace, they would just shed off of us, Lord, that we, our hearts and minds would be open to your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, please be seated. Verse 1 again of chapter 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which you stand. I love it. I love that verse. I love how Paul brings this church back to the one thing that matters. Moreover, brethren, I am told that in the Greek, that word moreover is meant to reflect a, a great contrast between that which was before and that which goes after. In other words, an expanded translation of that verse would read, brothers and sisters, I've been writing about a lot of things in this letter, but put all that on the shelf for a, a moment and let's talk about what really matters, that Christ died for you. He died for you. That he was buried and he rose again for you. And oh, how the Holy Spirit wants to bring us back to the one thing that really matters. 
to the one thing that really matters. Paul has been spending 15 chapters sorting out the mess that the Corinthian church had gotten themselves into. And the church had become, what had happened, it had become disconnected, disconnected from the head who is Christ. Jesus Christ is our head. Listen to this wonderful verse in Colossians chapter 2, verse 19. Paul gives a warning about Christians who are not holding fast to Jesus Christ, the head, from whom all the church body is nourished and knit together and grows with the increase that is from God. So Jesus Christ, our head. Now, if you become disconnected from your head, your body's going to really start having some issues really fast. Uh, recently, I heard, I tell you, you just, with the internet, we just, our minds just uh, get exploded by all this information, you know, you know, as if we needed to know anything else. Recently, I heard a study was done that concluded that your eyes, your eyes will continue to function one and a half seconds after your head is removed from your body, Okay. So I'm so glad they did that study, aren't you? I mean, I was wondering about that. Now we know when, you know, my head is rolling around on the ground, I'll have one last look at everyone else that's around me. Would someone please tell me why they do studies like that? And how do they really prove it, okay? I mean, you know, it, it, the advertisements in Boston, the papers, if you're reading the papers in Boston, you've seen these ads. Come to us. We have a research study. We'll pay you $22 an hour. Well, don't sign up for this one, okay? It's a little practical pastoral advice. Anyway, needless to say, when your body becomes disconnected from the head, you're going to start having issues. And the Corinthian church had become disconnected from their heads. And boy, did the issues pile up. And that's what most of this letter's about. And from the beginning of the letter, right up until chapter 14, and uh, uh, where we were last week, uh, Paul brings up the issues one by one, and uh, you may be a little tired of me bringing them up, but, uh, you know, it's important uh, that we always get the context. He brings up the issues one by one in chapter uh, 1 and 2. He starts, starts up his list. They were following men. They had become disconnected from their head, Jesus, and one of the first things that happens to you and I and anyone who is a Christian who becomes disconnected from the head, they start, we start following men. We become followers of men. And so one was saying, I follow Paul. Another was saying, I follow Apollos. Another was saying, I follow Peter. And so in chapter 3, we read that all these factions became envious of one another. Chapter 3, verse uh, 3, Paul says to the church, You're still carnal, for where there is envy, strife, and divisions, are you not behaving like mere men? You know, in fact, they were not mere men, were they? They were born again. Uh, they had been given new birth into a relationship 
uh, with Jesus Christ, who is our head. And, and, and they, but they had become disconnected from the head. That can still happen. Once a person is given new birth, they can still become disconnected from the head. They began following men. And boy, again, did the issues start piling up. Uh, they, from there, they, it, says, it goes on the next ch- few chapters, they started ripping each other off in the church. People were ripping each other off. And the people who were ripped off would go into court and sue their brothers and sisters who had ripped them off. And there was open sexual immorality. There was drunkenness at their communion service. There was uh, the marriages in the church were in trouble. There were problems in the, in the church services. Their church, church services had become a free-for-all where everyone was just showing up at the church in order to do their own thing to the point where Paul says in chapter 14, verse 23, uh, you guys, if an unbeliever comes into your service, will they not think you are out of your mind? With all the craziness that's going on there? So Paul takes 14 chapters dealing with all the stuff and to help the church sort out all their issues. And, and, then, and then he says, stop, in verse 1 of chapter 15. Stop. I declare to you the gospel, the good news that you received in which you stand. He says, let's just hold out for a minute. And now... I declare to you once again the good news in which you stand. That word gospel means good news. So there were so many issues that the church was dealing with. Paul, remember it's the Holy Spirit, it's not Paul, uh, recognizes the danger of them forgetting the good news in which they stand. I tell you, it's a terrible thing when we become so caught up in life that we forget the good news on which we stand. It happens so easily. It happens so easily. Have you forgotten this morning the good news on which you stand? David declares in Psalm 69, verse 1, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. No, David, there is standing. There is standing. You know, his problem, our problem, is we get so caught up in the mire of life Uh, that we become oblivious to it. There is standing. There is good news on which we stand. Is your life filled with stuff? Is it filled with stuff? And maybe it's the same stuff as the Corinthian church. You've, uh, You've become disconnected from the head. You become a follower of men. 
you've become a, a fall of men, and, 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 and maybe, there's, maybe there's sexual impurity in your life. Maybe alcohol, drugs, and, and everything uh, that, that, that um, the world has, has to offer to you. You've been a follower of those things. You're following after those things. But, but maybe it's, it, it's not just the issues of life uh, maybe, maybe it's not sin issues, but it's just the problems, the heartaches, the conflicts, the deadlines, the overwork, just the depression, the oppression that we get dragged into when we become disconnected from the head. Paul says, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the good news. And, you know, I want you to know this morning that this very thing happens in ministry. It happens to me, especially in ministry. And the Lord has convicted me on this so many times, just in the last few months, you know, because uh, every week, you know, ministry issues, they swirl about me. And it's so easy to be caught up in the swirl, to be caught up in the swirl. You know, people will call with the trials of life, sometime with really intense pain. And, you know, I, the Lord has just given me a passion to just give people everything that I have who come to me. And, and I love that. That's part of uh, who the, uh, the Lord has made me and who he's called me to be. And, and no, you know, there's administrative issues, and boy, do they swirl about. And, and you know, we, ha- we do have a large ministry team, and so there's a lot of uh, uh, balls in the air and juggling at the same time. And I can juggle better than the Holy Spirit, so, you know, I take over. Get caught up in the swirl. And so on a regular basis, when I'm not on my guard, when I'm not being spiritually watchful, the term in the Bible, spiritually watchful, Jesus said, watch love that term, watch. When I'm not watching, uh, I'm drawn into a whirlwind forgetting the one thing that's important. Parenting, ooh. There's one thing that'll send you into outer space. I mean, why pay the Russians $25 million? All you have to do is be a parent. I mean, come on. Oh, boy. Not much of a reaction out there. How many people are parents? Come on, raise your hand. Oh, God, okay. Can you relate? You know, recently my kids started complaining that I don't listen to them. They've started complaining about that, you know? And so, you know, recently one of the most, uh, the expressions, you know, that I've been hearing is, Earth to Dad, Earth to Dad, you know, I'll be talking to them. And Stephanie will tell him, no, you have to grab him. You see, you have to grab him. So all of a sudden, someone's going. Uh, and, you know, I've, 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 it's really humbling. But I've got to tell you, recently, I, I've started getting kind of guilty, and I've been sort of complaining to Stephanie. I'm like, well, look, I can't help it. All five kids are talking to me at the same time. And they're all, they're all asking me questions. And, 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 and you know how, you know, when a computer, what happens to a computer when it's processing too much, that little uh, time thingy will come up and it'll be just waiting and processing all this stuff. You know, what happens is, you know, 
you know, all the stuff starts garbling up in my brain and, and everything starts mixing up together. And so let me tell you what happens. You know, my 14-year-old, Sam Boy, Sam Man, uh, you can call him, <laughs> is asking, so, Dad, uh, when are we going to go to the Red Boston Red Sox game? And my older girls, 11 and 13, will be saying, you know, when are we going to go to the mall? And my five- and seven-year-olds will be going, when are we going to Chuck E. Cheese? And so all this stuff is swung around. Now, granted, this is, I just did it in, in, in order. That's not what happens. They ask at the same time. So all these things are mixing up, and the computer up there is, is sort of going, and, and they're all getting mixed up. And so I'm thinking, you know, Dad, when can uh, we go to the Boston Chuckies? You know, when can we... Uh, when, can, uh, when can we go buy red socks at the mall? Uh, when can we go mall Chucky, you know? And, and these things are, are going through my head. And then all of a sudden it's like, earth to dad, earth to dad, you know? And, and, and uh, someone's grabbing me and shaking me and bringing me back to uh, reality. Uh, anyway, um, there is sin there in my life too, and I'm dealing with that. But uh, I have to point the finger at someone else other than me, right? Oh, mm. Uh, actually, no. A, a lot of it is my issue, and I'm learning to deal with it. But, um, you know, in the book of Luke, chapter 10, Jesus is in the house of Mary and Martha. And this is one of those verses that we just can't read enough. We can't. It says in verse 39, he's in that house, and uh, Mary uh, was at the feet of Jesus listening to his word. But uh, Martha was distracted with much serving. And Martha said to Jesus, and I, I love how she talks with Jesus because this speaks to relationship, a real relationship. She says, don't you care, Jesus, that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Would that all of us, by the way, talk to the Lord like that from time to time, not always, but that we be open and free with the Lord. And what did Jesus say? Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, and what? It will not be taken away. So every time I read that, I am so encouraged. I'm so encouraged because that's Jesus' heart for me. That's Jesus' heart for you. And so again, Paul says, uh, you know, when we're in outer space or whatever and we're distracted and, we, and even in ministry we think ministry is about issues. No, ministry is not about issues. Ministry is about Jesus. Moreover, brethren, verse 1 of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, I declare to you the good news. The good news. So lay aside all the stuff for a moment and remember the good news which you received in which you stand. And what is the good news? Verse 3, that Christ died for our sins. That he died for our sins. That's the good news. If you sit at the feet of, of Jesus, if we sit at the feet of Jesus, and we take time just to think about that, that Christ died for our sins, your sins, your heart. If it has been hardened by sin, if it, it has been, uh, or the issues of life, 
Have you, you know, cobwebs have grown up around your faith because of the issues of life, your heart will begin to soften. Christ died for your sins. Allow that to soak in. Allow that just to be absorbed into your heart. And so that's what Paul is doing with the church in Corinth. You know, yesterday, our family in our devotion time, uh, we were in Matthew chapter 26, where Jesus quotes uh, the Old Testament prophet Zechariah, which is a prophecy that the Messiah would be killed and all his disciples would uh, basically take off in fear. And Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7 says this, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And I began to think about that verse. And, and we did. Who's the I? I will strike the shepherd. Who is the I? It's the Father. That's right. I will strike the shepherd. Who's the shepherd? Jesus. Jesus. The Bible says in John 3.16 that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and actually did much more than give. He struck his only begotten son. He slayed his only begotten son. He pierced. And the old King James would say he smote his only begotten son. Uh, you know, the Bible says that uh, when, after Jesus was arrested and, and he, he was before the Jewish high priest, he was blindfolded and beaten. And then he was taken to Pilate who had him whipped. Now that whip is called a scourge, Roman scourge had a small handle, 3 to 12 cords. At the end of the cords, there were little pieces of, of glass or metal or, or lead or, or uh, bone, sharpened bone. And it was designed to tear into the body of the one being beaten and do, uh, just to rip right into the arteries uh, and the veins. Many people did not survive just the whipping, much less what was going to happen after. And, and so Jesus was scourge. Doesn't say how many times. Now the Jews had a law, no more than 39. Romans didn't have that law. So whatever you might think of the, uh, of the passion and how long that scourging went on, I believe it was accurate. It was much more than 39. And, and his back was just ripped to shreds. Open ribcage. The back of Jesus Christ who died for your sins. And then, of course, it didn't end there. It says he was taken by the Romans to the praetorium, completely different place, and he was beaten there. And so from there, they took him and they laid a, a, a cross, a wooden cross, and let me tell you, it wasn't polished wood. <laughs> it, was, it was filled with splinters, and they put it right on his back, that back that had already been ripped open. And he was taken uh, to the uh, Golgotha where the cross was put on the ground. He was laid on the ground. Nails were put in his hands. A, a nail was put in his feet and he was lifted up. He was lifted up at that point uh, with the, on the cross. Now, sometimes we read about those accounts and we think to ourselves, well, you know, men, this is an account of men striking Jesus. No, 
the Bible says, God, the Father, struck the shepherd. The Father struck him. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. God the Father struck the Son. Now why? Why? So that you would be forever spared from the rod of God's judgment. So he wouldn't have to strike you. So he wouldn't have to smite you, slay you. So he wouldn't have to strike you with a judgment that must be poured out on any sin. You know, during our devotion time, I was thinking about the statement, I will strike the shepherd. And I was thinking to myself, you know, I would rather be struck with a thousand lightning bolts than be struck by, by God, by the judgment of God. Listen, if you have never accepted what Jesus did for you on the cross, you can do that this morning. There are people up here after the service, and you can pray with them. The Bible says it's by a prayer of faith, not your own good works. Lest anyone get into that white-hot holiness of heaven and be boasting that they were somehow deserved to be there. It's a gift. Jesus says in, in, in Revelation 22, anyone who, want, who thirsts, come and drink. And then it says, freely. It's a free gift. But listen, it's a matter of some urgency. Because the Bible teaches that God gives every human being a choice. And it's because of love that he gives the choice. But the choice is this, simply accept Jesus in the fact that God struck him with a judgment that, uh, that was supposed to be yours, or to be struck with judgment yourself. It was appointed for man to die once, Hebrews says, and then to face judgment. And the judgment's not a moment in time. It's an everlasting judgment. So everlasting relationship with God or everlasting judgment by God and how this world deserves judgment. I mean, let's just step back. The Bible from cover to cover talks about the holiness of God. The world deserves judgment. God is holy. He's white, hot, holy, and I'm glad he is. Can you imagine the world without the holiness of God? If, if God were not holy, if, if he was even uh, an iota less than complete, holy. And, and, and so he's holy, and when there's sin, and, and where there is a man or men who war against God, or women who war against God, and, and, or, or where there is women or, or men who resist God, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is drawing men and women to himself, but men choose to resist him. There must be judgment. God is holy. But God came into the world and died for your sins so that there need not be judgment. Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he weeps. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, 
I don't know if you've ever been blessed by a dream, by a dream from God. The Bible says that God sometimes communicates in that way supremely. Uh, God communicates to us through his word. And if you ever get a dream that differs in any way from his word, you can just chuck off the dream as just some strange thing that happened to you in the night. But God does say that, uh, the Bible says that sometimes we are given dreams. Now, when it comes to stuff like that, I got to tell you, I'm a pretty boring guy. I am a boring guy. Not only that, I'll speak for my wife and I. We are pretty boring when it comes to dreams. So um, uh, anyway, but recently, Stephanie, my wife, had a dream. And what she really believes was from the Lord. And, and in this dream, she was at a retreat somewhere and scattered around everywhere in this retreat were people who were just sort of broken by pain. They were not physical pain, but emotional pain. They were just broken with it. And all of a sudden, in the dream, uh, she was overcome just with an enormous outpouring of love, of God's love for those people, for her. And, and, and she was just sort of overwhelmed by it. And she realized this, that, that the quality of love and the kind of love, uh, this is the love that, that, um, uh, that, that God experiences for for her and for, and for just man and women who are, are broken in pain. They're broken by sin. And, but then she looked around at, at, at the people and they were still suffering. Even though with all that love, they were still suffering and they seemed to be oblivious of the pain that they were being broken by. And then, and, and then the next thing that happened, she was just overcome with weeping. And she was just weeping herself because uh, she was just in her heart. She was going, you don't understand the reason for your pain is you don't know the Lord. You don't know God. You haven't experienced God. You don't know the love of God. You can know that. And so when she was sharing uh, it with me, she also began breaking up. God loves us that much, Paul says Verse 1, that's why I declare to you the good news in which you stand that Christ died for your sins. I will strike the shepherd for you, the Father says. That is the the demonstration of of God's love for us. Verse 2 continues, and it uh, it says this. It says, by which you are saved. So he says in verse 1 again, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you received and and in which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. Now, that is not uh, teaching that someone can lose their salvation if they somehow don't hold on to God. The Bible teaches the opposite. Jesus says in John 10, he, we're not holding on to God. 
He's holding on to us. We, he has us in the palm of his hand, and no one will be cast out once they're in the palm of his hand, Jesus teaches. What this is talking about here is just a real, born-again, new birth experience where someone's saved is when someone leaves what their life behind, just as Dave was talking about in his prayer before I got up here, remember Lot. Someone who, you remember Lot's wife, you know, what did she do? She looked back. So it's someone who uh, leaves the life behind them and, and lays hold, holds on fast to what Jesus has for them, that free gift that he has for them. And then it goes on to say, unless you believed in vain. Many people believe in vain, meaning their, their faith is not a saving faith. They have a faith, they believe in facts about Jesus. They went to Christmas and Easter and whatever, Thanksgiving, and so they understand that facts about him, that he was born and that he was born of a virgin and that he raised from the dead. But the Bible says that the devil believes those facts, and he shudders. He shudders because he knows about the judgment to come. And so this in verse 2 is merely talking about when a a person trusts in the Lord for their salvation. They're laying fast. They're laying hold of it. And, and, and so First Peter, Peter calls it, pledge it the pledge of a good conscience towards God. Uh, and, and so anyway, and, and then, uh, so then let's continue. He, so he begins, what's this good news? It's verse 3, it's Christ died for sins. But then it goes on in verse 4, and that he was buried. And that he was buried. Whenever we, are bap- whenever we baptize people here at this church, we take them to Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, and I read these verses to them and I explain them. Romans 6, 3 and 4 says this, speaking to Christians, it says, Or do you not know that as many of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into death? Therefore, We were buried with him. We were buried with him through baptism into death. So when you lay fast onto Jesus by faith, the Bible says you die and your old man dies and your old man goes into the tomb, is buried with Jesus. That's what the Bible teaches. Uh, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. But glory to God, it doesn't end there. Because in, in, in uh, verse 4 there of, of 1 Corinthians 15, it says, but, and, but he was resurrected. He was resurrected. What? According to the Scriptures. You know, you can do a Google search on Mohammed and find out that he died on June 8th, 632 A.D. at the age of 61. And Buddha died around on or about 425 B.C. But Jesus is alive. And that's why Paul says, I declare to you the good news. And so when we are baptizing someone, we continue to read in chapter 6 of Romans. It says again, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even we also should walk in newness of life. 
So when a man or woman invites Jesus Christ into their life, the Bible teaches, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, that they become, or chapter 4 actually, and uh, in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians speak to us being a temple of the Holy Spirit uh, once we invite Jesus into our life. The last chapter of 2 Corinthians, Paul asks the Corinthians, he says, he pleads with them, do you not realize that Jesus Christ lives inside of you? In John chapter 20, the resurrected Jesus uh, breathed life, the Holy Spirit, into his disciples. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit was poured on his disciples. So we serve a living God. He was resurrected so that we can walk in newness of life. Then he continues, what else is the good news? Verse 5, and that he was seen by Cephas. Cephas is Peter, the Apostle Peter. Remember, uh, Jesus has changed his name to Peter, the rock. Then by the twelve. After that, he, Jesus, was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present. And so, In other words, they're still around to talk about this. And then he goes, but some have uh, fallen asleep, meaning died. Verse 7, after that, he was seen by James, James was his brother, half-brother. Then by all of the apostles, then uh, last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. And by that, it just simply means that, you know, Paul came after. So he, 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 he was the last one really to see, see J- Jesus, really, that, that physical vision uh, of, of Christ, the last of the apostles. Uh, to, to see Jesus in that way. And so, and say, you know, I saw him as, as of one born out of due time, it says. Paul says, I declare to you the good news. You know, we live in a city, Boston, where there is a spirit of unbelief that pervades the city. There's a spirit of unbelief that pervades the city. And many of the academic institutions in the cities are, are, are dedicated to undermining the gospel, the good news, to undermining it. The thing in which we stand. And man, they're going about it. <laughs> they are going about it full, full blown ahead. And, and so from time to time, you, being a Christian, may be affected by that same spirit of unbelief. Don't be surprised at that. Don't be surprised. That is what spiritual warfare is all, all about. First Peter um, uh, chapter 4 says, don't, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is which is to try you, as though something strange were happening. Don't feel strange that you may be affected from time to time by this spirit of unbelief. It's real. The Bible says that we don't war against flesh and blood, but against uh, principalities of the air. Uh, uh, Peter continues, he says, resist him, steadfast in the faith, meaning resist Satan, was what it's talking about here. 
knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of grace who called you into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after a while he will perfect you, establish you, strengthen you, and settle you. And so my advice, when you're affected by this spirit that lives among us, is to resist the enemy and go right here to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and just read. Verse 5, he was seen by Peter, then by the 12, then 500 people, most of whom were alive at the time this uh, was written, then by James, then by all the apostles, and then by uh, the apostle Paul as one born out of due time. And and so lay aside for a moment. You know, when, when you're sort of being affected by this type of thing, you're in a fog, you were feeling fine yesterday, today you're in a fog, Lay aside for a moment all the prophecies in the Old Testament that specifically address Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Lay those aside. Lay also aside the uh, thousand, the ten thousand times that Jesus has uh, confirmed himself uh, in your life by being faithful to you. And you've seen the hand of God, uh, I don't know how many thousand times. Just lay all those aside and, and focus in when you're in this fog and, and, and focus on these verses about what happened after the fact, what happened after the resurrection, after his death. Either the Apostle Paul and all these people are lying, they made this up, and for a lie, they went out of hiding, lived the rest of their life in persecution, being tortured, having their family members killed uh, because of their faith, Uh, and, and for a lie, either that's happening, they're just lying about it, or it's all true. I declare to you, Brethren, the good news in which you stand. This is true. This is all very, very true. In Second Peter, that's what, that's what Paul is establishing for them here. In Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16, Peter says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. 1 John chapter 1. John says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, with our, and with our hands we have handled. Remember Thomas putting his hands in the wound after the resurrection. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, John says. And so, again, Paul declares the good news in which we stand and how important it is for us to continue to go back to that foundation, particularly as, as, the, as the issues of life, the whirlwind of life would just suck us in. What a glorious love that God had for us. That his son died for our sins, was buried, raised again, and appeared to many and was ascended into heaven.
Okay, let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord. I thank you just for the good news. What a foundation it is for our life, Lord. What a bedrock, Lord. And how often we, like uh, David, we cry out, Oh God, help me. I'm in the mire. I don't have any place to stand. When right under our feet, Lord, is the rock, the bedrock of our faith, Lord, that you so loved the world. That you gave your only begotten Son. That whoever believes in him may not perish, but have everlasting life. Lord, we just thank you for that. I pray for every man, woman, and child in here, Lord, that by your grace we would make that very thing. God, not only something on which we stand, but God, just a living testimony in our heart, Lord, this week, every day this week, this day, every hour, every minute today, Lord, the good news on which we stand. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.